Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everybody, to episode 19 of the Inferno podcast uh, based on the Suns. And we have our co-host, Sed Zabalas, Dr. Patrick Patillo, and myself, Dana Scott. Also, congratulations to Dr. Patillo, who just completed his PhD at GCU. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. And so what is your degree in right now? What did you have to defend? Uh, defend my dissertation was leadership and organizational development. It's uh, all about culture and workplaces, environments, and the impact that has on teams and operations. Uh, being at the UI Peoria boys basketball head coach, that applies. And yes, sir. You having a great early season uh, right now? Yeah, yeah, we're ten and one uh, to start the year, so uh, not too bad. Working on getting better each day as we head into the holiday stretch. Here we have our tournament next week. Uh, visit Mesa, so playing some out of town schools, uh, which will be really good for the competition, and then head into the home stretch the second half of the year after that. Yeah, I understand. That's good. That's good. And also, uh, shout out to you said who is going to be at the Fry's Food Stores in downtown Phoenix in front of the arena. On, on Friday the 16th from uh, 5.30 to 7.30, correct? Yeah, something like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just saw the flyer for that on Twitter. So if you want to meet some Suns legends and OGs, such as Tim Kempton and, and Sed, uh, Tim Kempton actually helps do the uh, broadcast with my man John Bloom on uh, the 98.7 FM road games, So uh, as well as home games too. Oh, but- boy. Yeah. Yeah. Al McCoy, too, of course, the legendary Al McCoy. Go and see them. You'll definitely, definitely have fun gripping and greening with the Suns legends. But first, I want to talk about this great video from back in 1995 when you were a Laker, traded from the Suns to L.A., didn't waste any time uh, to get acclimated with Warren G., who produced the track Flow On. Um, Some things that strike me that's in the video. So I'm, I'm playing this video, and he's got the Cherokee Parks jersey on. Yes. Yes. Uh, Robin Harris. Robin Harris. Robert Harris. Well, I don't know where my mind is. No, it was Ricky Harris. Yeah, Ricky Harris right now. I thought that that was funny. He had a Grant Hill one and a Cherokee Parks, and I was like, you got to go with the Cherokee Parks just because everybody got the Grand Hill one. And the fact that it's Cherokee and Cherokee's a, you know, a kid from LA too, California, Orange County kid. So it was, it was just a perfect scenario. Yeah. So one thing about Cherokee parks is that two things. I had the Grand Hill Jersey. I'm a UNC guy, but I was a Grand Hill diehard fan. And in fact, I just read that they just looked past him to, they were putting him in the search for, uh, the NCAA's next president was actually uh, Massachusetts uh, Governor Charlie Baker. Wow. Uh, he's the lame duck uh, governor that is actually not going to run again because he's going to be the next NCAA president. Grant Hill's going, uh, they were looking to possibly have Grant Hill fill that role. And second is that the Cherokee Parks, he was actually the best player on that terrible 1995 Duke team that <laughs> didn't have Coach K because he had a back injury yeah. uh, that sidelined him. He had to have surgery. And Pete Gaudette was their assistant who stepped up to be the interim coach, and they had their most awful year 
Uh, I think their best two players were Eric Meeks and Cherokee Parks. Um, and Cherokee Parks actually was used as a put down on me when I was playing a pickup game in the Bronx to visit my mother. Some, and this is a colorism thing because of being light-skinned and being from Connecticut. I was coming to the inner city playing ball. Some short point guard kid, he, he passed me the ball and I laid it up and he said, you soft because you were Cherokee Parks. And I, and I was like, man, I got so mad and I started playing better from that point on. Yeah, I had to have a little bit of flash, which I didn't have at the time, but I started to step it up after he made that comment to me, claiming I was Cherokee. Motivation. What's that? A little bit of a motivation. to <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man, I needed that. I needed that. Just, but it was basically like it, it, you know the colorism thing, like being light skin versus dark skin in the inner gotcha. city, being from a small town in Connecticut, coming to the you know the Bronx, and basically having to show and prove my not only my ability on the court, but my blackness at the same time. <laughs> you know, New, York City, not, New York City. Yeah, I, I did not want to be Cherokee Parks. That's for sure. Anyway, but rest in peace also to Ricky Harris. Yeah, and um, and rest in peace to uh, one of my favorite rappers. I like to talk about hip hop. Uh, Granddaddy IU. When I first got into the genre back in 1989, 90, I mean, I had I knew I was always around hip hop since the time I was a little kid. You know, my history in the Bronx with my mother, but also I had um, a lot of MCs that I was really, really, really loving at the time. Of course, Brand Nubian. Um, and also Slick Rick, Tribe Called Quest and Native Tongue, like De La Soul, and Granddaddy IU was definitely up there. Uh, he just passed at age 54 on Tuesday. Uh, it was announced. So Something New was definitely one of my favorite tracks back in the day, uh, as well as Domino's and that Smooth Assassin album was really, really great um, at that year. Produced by Biz Marquis and Cool V yeah, as, as well. But we're going to talk about Suns before we divert anymore. Uh, the Suns are on a five-game losing streak entering Thursday in their game in Los Angeles against the Clippers. The Suns are not playing well. They're probably this. They haven't won. Um, they haven't lost this many games in a row uh, in a while. The last time they lost three in a row was when they made their 2021 Finals run. Yeah. And Chris Paul has been back ever since their loss to the Celtics. Their blowout loss to the Celtics on December 7th, uh, 125-98. Um, and then they lost two games in a row to New Orleans uh, on the 9th and the 11th, respectively. Um, and they lost the second of the back-to-back. -back, oh, I'm sorry, it wasn't back-to-back. -back, the second game against New Orleans of that last weekend in overtime, 129-124. And they lost to the Rockets. They basically dropped uh, – the. They, they didn't lead all game. They had a, one of their worst shooting performances ever uh, for a second quarter against Rockets in Houston. Lost 111 to 97. And Landry Shamit said to me a couple of about a month ago or, or two months ago that the Rockets are a dangerous team. Uh, they played the Rockets on October 11th, uh, beat them 124-109, but the Rockets came back to Phoenix and beat them on December 7th by one point. Uh, Phoenix basically could not get that sh shot at the buzzer that Devin Booker put up. And what do you think is wrong with the Suns right now, Said, 
Well, first with the Rockets, just throw that one out uh, because that was the basketball gods giving that to Paul Silas, former Suns player, passed away, and his son was coaching that game. Uh, so, you know, it, it just so happens that uh, the, the timing of that, that was the first game back after passing to Paul and the fact that his son is playing uh, the Phoenix Suns, it just happened to be, a, uh, you know, something to just big up Paul and all he has done in life and uh, to make sure his son got that win. Not his sons, but his son. Right. Uh, Steven uh, Silas, yes. Steven Silas got that win. And I thought I thought uh, during the intro, they should have did a, um, like they did Magic in the All-Star game in 1992 in Orlando. They should have, all the whole team should have came over and, and gave Steven a hug or gave him some love uh, at the beginning of that game when they announced, uh, you know, the passing of his father. Uh, but, you know, obviously Monty and Steven had some words uh, probably some a small prayer right there, knowing Monty how uh, uh, righteous and religious that he is. Probably a small prayer right there too uh, at the end of the game. But uh, hats off to that. I just think that you know, ever since I, I was next to the Boston bench uh, when they played Boston uh, at the Footprint Center, and you could tell the difference in the intensity uh, from the game that I have watched before uh, in those same seats that it has, has changed a little bit. And I don't know if it's an insurance policy that Chris Paul's came back. Uh, the tempo of Chris Paul's play um, kind of slowed everything down. I'm relying on, um, you know, as soon as we get a defensive rebound or, or, or the team makes a bucket, they're looking for, for Chris Paul, uh, a situation like that. I'm not really sure. Uh, but it's just it just seems like it's a different basketball team totally. The communication is not there, obviously. You know, not having Devin Booker, not having Cam in the lineup uh, really does change some things defensively, especially with those two. But I, I think that the pace has slowed down a little bit and they're they're playing a different style of basketball that they weren't playing earlier in the part of the season, Patrick. Right. Yeah, yeah, I agree, Said I think for me, the game that was most disappointing is the, the second game in New Orleans. And, you know, having the opportunity to win it, we came out looking really good. That was Devin's first game out. Um, and, you know, come, came out with a lot of fight and just not being able to finish that game off. Uh, I think from a culture perspective, you know, that that didn't help. And I think we were a three game, three game losing streak going into that game, if I recall correctly. And so uh, but your, your points are, I think, the key ones. We don't look the same. The energy, the effort, um, it, it just uh, the injuries happen. Right. So every team has to deal with that. So, of course, that, that messes with. Uh, rotations and things of that nature but in in terms of like a simple execution and just really getting back to it I'm I'm more disappointed in that honestly because with this group and, and everything they've been through uh, you one or two losses like is usually enough to to get them to snap back and at least see an improvement from an effort perspective mm-hmm. and so that's what I look to see tonight you have the Clippers playing on a back-to-back right uh yeah we're we've been on the road uh, traveling but um I really hope uh, that that's what we can see tonight out of them in this Clipper game is, is really just bringing that effort and energy um, and being able to, to spark something from that and start it on the defensive end. Offensive end, obviously getting back in rhythm. You know, CP3 was out a while. He's back. It looks totally different. The pace is different, as said mentioned. And so that's what I want to see. Um, and then the rest will start to fall in place. But with these injuries, the, the lineups are all going to look different. 
rotations, all that. Obviously, said as a player, you know, you know that messes with you know the the, the rhythm, and and guys just have to step up, and and really, it's it's that effort and hustle, those 50-50 balls and possessions that uh, can lead to you know some of these big leads that other teams have had against us uh, that that we need to to limit. Right now, I wanted to just backtrack to the start of the five-game losing streak. They got torched in Dallas, and that was the second of a back-to-back. Kogi said after the game that sometimes when you're coming back home uh, following a back-to-back in which turned out to be the blowout loss to the Celtics, that it's hard to readjust. Um, obviously, the injury bug Aiden injured his ankle against uh, uh, New Orleans. I'm sorry, against Houston. And he's questionable going into tonight's game against the Clippers. And Booker has been out for the past two games since the Friday game at New Orleans. Uh, where he has his recurring hamstring issue pop up again. So Booker has had these hamstring issues before. He's been dealing with this for like the past five years. It seems like it's the same uh, right hamstring uh, that keeps coming back. Uh, And those are tough to get past. Those basically those injuries settle on his own. He says he feels fine. Hopefully he does come back tonight. Uh, And just last week, the Suns were coming off of a great win against San Antonio. They had their largest road victory and second largest road victory in franchise history by 38 points over the Spurs. Then they got torched by Luka and didn't really get in sync that game. Uh, Luka and the Mavs uh, won 130 to 111. And then they got torched by Boston. And then they got torched by Zion. You know, and then they had the Zion dunk, which I thought would wake the Suns up at the end with that what campaign considers to be unsportsmanlike you know they had the blowout victory and then they Zion had the windmill dunk and before that play uh they had Larry Nance's layup and so I wanted to talk about cardinal rules real quick in the NBA that when there's a loss and the team who's losing concedes is it really really angering to a group of guys on the losing team or should they be angry more the fact that they lost the game or the fact that their players on the winning team are piling on doing some showboat dunks? What do you think, Seth? Um, I, I think it's situational. Uh, I, I think Zion's dunk was uh, accredited to NBA and NBA basketball. Uh, I think it's accredited to uh, the New Orleans fans, uh, to Zion, where his career has gone so far. And I don't think that the Suns should have taken any offense to it because he's been out for so long and he's having a tremendous year this year. And uh, it wasn't like uh, it, it was a chance for somebody on the Suns to get hurt. It was a, I mean, it, you know, it was a wide open, nobody was at half court dunk. It was just, you know, just to cap it off something for the fans, something for the dunk enthusiast. Uh, and, and most importantly, the confidence level of Zion. Uh, it's it's different when, and 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 where blame should have been if it was a blowout, it should have been in the coaching. Right. You know, if it's a blowout, why is Zion in the game? He's injury prone. You know, it's a blowout. They already conceded. They should have taken him out the game. Now, and if they had taken him out the game and they had, you know, a guy like me, my first two years, Cotton Fitzsimmons used to come over to the bench and, you know, the game is over with basically and say, Hey, anybody want to play one or two minutes? You know, my hand is up. Cause I was a point of minute guy. So I know I get one or two minutes. That's, 
you know, you know, a chance to get two points, four points, get a nice dunk, get a chance to impress the the dunk committee to get me in the dunk contest for the all-star game. So, you know, so when, when the teams are blowing teams out and I'm, or, I'm, or we're blowing somebody out and I got in the game and went off, they didn't really take too heat of it because, you know, this guy's trying to survive in the league. He's not, you know, he, he didn't play the whole game. He doesn't play a lot. But if it's if the shot clock is is winding down and, and you're at half court, that's a different story. You know, the game is over with and, you know, crowd is standing up. Everybody's getting ready to walk out. The benches are clearing and coaches are shaking hands and the, and the clock is still running. Now, that's a different story. But uh, I don't know why that that this goes back to last year. This that tension there. And then Chris Paul with the elbow to the to the young fella, uh, you know, all that. that there's some beef going on there and that's probably this coaching staff you know the two head coaches being on one underneath uh, Monty and uh just just the the uprise of the Pelicans and uh you know the surgeons of the Suns for the last four years and them getting back out of the tunnel tunnel of death uh with losses and losses and losses and they're shining and and the Pelicans want to be where their sons are so I think it's just some tension going on there uh but I don't think it had to do with the you know the dunk or, or or the layup by Nance uh, uh, late game situation. Sure, Patrick. Yeah, I'm aligned with said. Uh, to me, it's the coaching. If you're gonna if you're going to point to anything, I'm not mad at Zion doing that uh, for all the reasons said mentioned. On top of what Zion said after the game about you know these guys sent my brothers home. He couldn't do anything about it when they got sent home from the playoffs. And so that feeling, that's a competitor and that's a brother. So for him to go do that and give, you know, he's out there. So I, I expect him to perform if that's my guy. Now, at me as a coach, one, I, I'm not going to have him in at that point. And two, I'm definitely calling that shot off uh, as a coach. So that's like said, said, I'm going right to the coaching, not Zion. Zion's in there and, and he's doing what he does and, and that's it. And if we're irritated at anything, we should be irritated of how we played and uh, that result. We shouldn't be worrying about pointing fingers at anything else. Uh, but again, if that helped and gave us motivation, I'm all for it. Um, it we came out looking really well that next game um, and just didn't get that win. But uh, yeah, for me, it, he can he and anyone else can do that. I don't think there was anything uh, disrespectful there. I know uh, some of the um, Pelican podcast, you know, people had had a lot to say about our fan base <laughs> yeah. and uh, whatnot. But uh, <laughs> hypocritical. We'll be, I'm yeah, just call it out, Israel. Sure. To call yeah. the, the the Suns fan base hypocritical. Yeah, well, you can, He's you on can call us uh, network as well. Oh, yeah, you can call Shout us whatever you want. But when I was there for 10 years and we would, you know, not win many games, I, I don't know what's hypocritical about that. So yeah. that, that can yeah. speak for itself. But, um, yeah, so to me, good for him. Um, and if it sparks a new rivalry or excitement, I hope we uh, see them in the playoffs and get to go at it again with a healthy squad on both both ends. Um, and then, you know, we can see when it matters, you know, what, what happens then. Yeah, and – the thing is, is the Suns and Pelicans, like Aiden said back in October, they are the same team. I remember he, I asked him about that. And there are some similarities. I asked Chris Paul about it last year during the playoffs about how there are so many similarities to the Suns and Pelicans, right? Like you said, said uh, Willie Green is a guy who was a understudy to Monty and for one season or two seasons before he moved on to go into New Orleans and taking the head job there. Yeah, and you, got, then, you also got uh, David Griffin used to be yeah, you know, right. GM. He's GM over there. You, I mean, you got Aaron Nelson used to be the trainer of the Suns. He's in New Orleans now as their head medical guy. I mean, yeah. just so many 
things that you can you can play off of these two teams together. Right, and they got two number one overall picks, Zion and Aiton. And then also these are franchise cornerstones. And also they have Herb Jones and Mikhail Bridges, okay? Those are guys are very, very uh, similar as defensive specialists, and they can hit threes too uh, as well. And they're very versatile uh, as glue guys and the, who could just pretty much as a Swiss Army knife guy. And then they have franchise uh, stars and Brandon Ingram. And then you got Devin Booker. And then there's point guards, guys who are scoring point guards uh, or, you know, shooting guards, really the guys in the backcourt, mate, with um, they got CJ McCollum. And then there's Chris Paul. Okay. Those are two veterans right there. And then it just, you, you got the bigs, the backup bigs, uh, you know, with Valanciunas. Um, and you know, you go, he's a starter, but then he goes up against Aiton. They're base, both great rebounders. And then you have a guy and like energy glue, energy glue guys, as in Cam and mm-hmm. uh, Cam, I think it's Jose, Cam and Jose. Those are guys that you, Jose plug. Alvarado, and, right? Yeah, you plug those two in the game when you need energy, when you need to, to, to get on the competitive edge, when you try to sway your team one way or the other. So, yeah, we are so right on these two teams being comparison, right? And then Basically, the, talking about Chris Paul, he comes back against the Celtics, and he's not shooting. He's basically been inconsistent since he came back, and he's shooting a career low twenty nine percent from the three. So he's bricking up threes all game uh, against Houston. And I want to point out before I go into the Chris Paul thing, the the Suns actually averaged a. 19-point differential in their first of the five straight losses. The first three of the five straight losses, they lost by 19 uh, average and allowed 127. So they need to be mad at that as well. And Chris Paul not playing consistently in his first four games back. Um, no, it's been actually, let's see, one, two, three. Yeah, four games he's been back. And campaign was playing well. I had a question to Monty after – uh, the uh, Mavericks game and asking because campaign played very well. Uh, he had uh, 10 assists in that game and he had the game high and he also, he scored in the, you know, he had a double double. So I asked him, do you, we talked about this last podcast. Will this borrow Chris some time to come back when he's fully healthy, maybe till January now that campaign has a hot hand. And then Monty got a terse response to me saying that, you know, Cam's, uh, Chris's health has nothing to do with campaign performance. And I understand, but I feel like with Chris missing, but he missed what, 15 games. So obviously he's working to get back in his rhythm and he's not there. So they want to keep Chris off the ball for responsibilities and not handling the offense too much, initiating it. But is it possible, Chris being inconsistent and campaign playing more consistent, that Chris might need to come off the bench instead of Cam? I don't think he needs to come off the bench. If I can grab this, Patrick, uh, I don't think he needs to come off the bench. I just think that it, it's a, it's more of a gradual. I, I used to love uh, Utah Jazz, and and John didn't come off the bench, but I mean, excuse me, John wasn't injured. Stockton, that is. But Sloan made sure he took them out at the five-minute mark. I mean, it was just like, it, it It don't matter if they're blowing people out or getting blown out. John was coming out and getting his rest. Uh, um, and that was at 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 John's 
crime. You know, it wasn't like John was on the back end of his and he started that. That was always consistent with with Sloan um, and, and John Stockton. I, I think you may see that. Um, and if you can, I'm, I'm not really on the staff, but if you can see that because Payne is playing so well, to don't take away his shine or his rhythm by min minimizing his minutes or where he was really playing uh, aggressive. Uh, and that's at the beginning of the games, at the beginning of the second half, uh, which is a very difficult time to get your team going uh, after halftime coming out of that locker room and his energy was there. But uh, it, you don't want to start nothing or rumble any feathers uh, with Chris Paul and the staff. Uh, we already seen what can happen when, when things happen that way. You don't want that to happen uh, by putting them on the bench. And now Chris has to answer these questions uh, when you can still start Chris, but just limit his minutes and have, uh, you know, young Payne come off the bench a little earlier uh, than usual. Sure. Sure. Yeah, definitely. I think the chemistry piece, you know, ties to that. So as, as Sid said, if, uh, CP3, if that's not something he's initiating in the conversation and wanting to do, uh, that, that's not going to be the right move at all uh, for the organization. And so, um, yeah, pro protect his minutes, as we talked about on the previous pods throughout the season and, and campaign, if he's seeing those uh, meaningful minutes and it allows him to do what he does or, you know, maybe Monty adjusts it and, and you know, CP3 starts. Uh, but comes out sooner and, and campaign goes for a longer stretch and then CP3 gets back. And especially, you know, as book questionable still tonight uh, as a last report, once he gets back in the rotation too, uh, you know, what does that look like when it looks like most of the time, you know, Monty was riding Devin Booker the whole first quarter, then would rest him early. So th there's a lot that can happen there from a, a coaching perspective that can still maximize that. And I think from a rotation perspective, what we're going to see from the Jay Crowder situation um, and the potential trade there, I, I think there still needs to be that time and to get the team fully healthy and then find that rhythm and rotation piece. Um, again, we're not worried this year about the record. And when I say we, you know, the players, you know, trying to set a frame record this and that it's really finding the right rhythm and balance uh, to keep us healthy and get that right uh, rhythm down that allows us to be successful and ready to go when we hit the playoffs and so figuring that out this is part of that journey and so lots of people are panicking the media you know what's going on with the Suns uh, we just have to figure it out and that's what it is and I think Monty does a very good job of of navigating that uh, through the adversity and this is just you know a, a couple of more uh, blips on the radar that have to be navigated. Yeah, and then I'm not saying when I ask that question that Chris should come off the bench. I just want to clarify that. He did have a good game against the New Orleans the first uh, time that they played them in the weekend. Uh, that In Friday, he had 24 points. Uh, he was 7-14 and 6 for 9 from 3. So he had an excellent game. And then against the Rockets, he had 16 points on five for 17 shooting, which wasn't as great. Two for 10 from the three. You're going to have off nights. He had seven assists. So I want to point out that Chris is playing well as a facilitator. It's just that his scoring has not been up. And the Suns need somebody as a secondary creator in the light of Devin being out. And with the fact that they don't have a movement on the Jay Crowder situation yet. Um, they will move towards it at some point, probably after the new year, it seems, since you know, James said recently in an interview uh, that well, they haven't found anything uh, that really is suitable for a trade yet. They've been looking, um, and it's just not there yet. I, actually, James said that in a 
in a presser when he got announced to be the president of basketball operations for the Suns and the Mercury. Uh, since we last talked, Brittany Griner is actually home. Now, this is something that is very important to the Phoenix community uh, and also to the basketball community overall. Uh, if politics aside, where do you see this as helping the Phoenix Mercury? Do you think that she will come back and play? Said you first. Yeah, mentally, I think that she should definitely, you know, seek some help first because going through what she has gone through in the past years is very difficult. And I think that's the most important thing uh, that she needs to take care of physically wise. I mean, you know, she's one of the most dominant players in the WNBA uh, and in around the world as far as uh, uh, basketball players. And and she, uh, I, I don't think she'll take long to get back into shape. Uh, it, it's not like she's... Um, you know, Skylar Diggins or, or or Dinah Taurasi where, you know, she's running baseline to baseline, cutting, you know, doing all the things, pulling up jumpers, her, you know, she running down the gut and she runs very well. Uh, so I don't think, and, and then she was, you know, never a person who always was out of shape. She's always been in shape, but I think mentally she's going to have to go through some things to try to get herself back um, uh, to where she's, you know, you know, happy on the court. She's, uh, she feels safe. Uh, I, I've never been incarcerated, so I, I can only imagine what she went through and not only being incarcerated, but being incarcerated in a different country. Uh, you know, so that's, you know, I just hope mentally that she'll be all right uh, to be to be the same old giving person that she's been uh, before all this craziness. Yeah, Locked Up Abroad is real, man. I saw that documentary series a long time ago, and I believe it was HBO, and you go to other countries, man, they just they don't play with certain things and they just throw the book at you harder. Now, Patrick, Dr. Batillo, I should say. <laughs> Sorry, I need to address you as Dr. Batillo now. Uh, what's your take on Brittany coming home? Uh, mental health first. Yeah. So it's amazing that she's back, regardless of, of political views. Anytime we can get anybody uh, back home, you know, that that's a win. Uh, for for those families and those individuals. And I know how much the Mercury community means to her too. So I'm sure being involved in whatever capacity, whenever she's ready, uh, will be uh, big for her and her mental health, which is great. And then obviously, if and when she's ready to return to the game, uh, there's no question that uh, what she'll bring was missed last season and will be much uh, needed from a basketball perspective, but that that's the last priority uh, and should be for her and anyone else. Um, it's just the the wavering, unwavering of support that the entire NBA WN community uh, around the world has had for her. I, I hope, you know, has helped her. And when she can see that in a different light now, you know, being back home, um, that will help her through this journey and, and everything that she's been through. And so uh, I just hope the best for her and uh, her, her mental well-being. And then obviously, um, her getting back to the game of basketball that she loves so much, uh, hopefully will be that outlet and she'll be able to do that, you know, successfully. Sure. I'm going to have an unpopular opinion about this, but I believe that she should retire and consider a comeback if she wants, because after enduring this, not just for a year, but her entire life being ostracized for being uh, gay uh, and also what she went through at home. Uh, I read and I've written about this that, her father, uh, where she grew up in Houston, was a uh, high-ranking uh, cop and kicked her out her junior year when she came out to him about you know, being homosexual. And she had to stay with one of her coaches at her high school 
uh, for her senior year, which is very, very damning. Um, it's very, it's very jarring on a, a young person's psyche. And then what she went through at Baylor, and we've seen this with Kim Mulkey online saying that, you know, and you won't with that response of how somebody asked her, a reporter asked if she's had something to say about Brittany Briner being locked up. And Brittany helped lead Baylor to, a, you know, the first of Kim's two titles there, you know, before she went to LSU. And reportedly, according to Brittany's book, uh, biography, after she left Baylor and entered the WNBA, she said that Kim Mulkey told her, allegedly told her, to not come out as gay at the Christian University Baylor is. And they also had a student conduct code that spoke against having homosexual relationships seen on campus, no PDA, things like that. And so that was definitely, definitely hurtful to her confidence. And she was glad to get out of Baylor and then to have this happen. So if she needs a year uh, to basically rejuvenate herself, rejoice that she's back with her family. She's also a parent. So that's the thing what people have to understand is that when you're away from your kids and I'm a new father too, it's, it's the most gut-wrenching thing you could ever imagine for a parent to go through. And, and so that's another hard thing. So she has to go the Maya Moore route and just take a break. By all means, do it because the Mercury are going to be there. You know, they are going to be there. Diana Taurasi is going to play another year. And so Whatever Skyler's situation is with her pregnancy, uh, if she stays with the team or maybe gets traded, that's going to be handled. But Brittany needs to focus on Brittany and her wife right now. I mean, they've had a trying year. And so maybe she needs that time to just reflect and be a parent and be uh, a, a, a you know, spouse and a, with her family more than anything than basketball right now, which is tertiary to everything that she's gone through over the span of her life. Uh, up to this point, you know, and most recently. Uh, so I want to conclude the podcast by saying thanks to everybody for tuning in to episode 19. But real quick said, I just need a quick caveat about how Warren G produced your track. How did you link with him? I know you told the story to me before, but I want <laughs> people to know how you got one of the best producers in the game at the height of his fame to produce your track in 1995 floor. Well, when Sony uh, Records and Immortal Records came to us with this uh, opportunity uh, to get on this track, I, I, you know, me and Warren, I grew, I went to high school in Compton. He was in Long Beach. I knew his brother Dre uh, from DJing in the parks uh, for Little League. Uh, uh, and we also got this, we got our Suburbans done at the same location, which means TV, stereos. Uh, so when it was up to me to to pick my producer, I went to this guy, Howard Becker, uh, Electronic Entertainment, and I said, put this wooden steering wheel and put it on my bill for Warren G, because I'm going to ask him for something later. But and, and then make sure you tell him where it came from. So Warren came to check on his vehicle like, hey, I didn't order this wooden steering wheel. He's like, yes, that's the bottles bought it for you. He said, put it in there as a little gift. And then so that kind of put the seed in there. So when I came to him later uh, on producing this track, uh, he was all for it. I wanted to go through Dre, uh, but uh, I, I I thought Dre would be offended that I didn't ask him. But I just knew Dre was, you know, up there, and I really enjoyed, uh, you know, Warren's Warren's sound, the G Funk sound. Uh, I, I didn't. I, I'm at the time I was like a, a imitation Snoop rapper, so I didn't want to be <laughs> exactly like that. Yeah. And I thought that you know Warren would really pull that out of me. And uh, you know, I I wrote the whole thing, wrote the wrote the lyrics, wrote the hook. Uh, did everything, wrote Warren's part, um, you know, written and directed the the video. 
you know, so it's it, it was pretty cool, man. It was pretty cool working with a guy. And we've been friends ever since. No doubt. Great story and uh, great pod, guys. Thank you for coming on and uh, tune in for episode 20. The Suns have the Pelicans again on Saturday, oh. um, yeah, the 17th in Phoenix. So that should be the closing great uh, game of their four game series this year. Keep your uh, composure. Keep your composure, Patrick. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> the troops rallied, though, ready to go. They're going to yes, feel this. It'll be so loud in Footprint Center. Wow. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. See y'all then. We'll be, be there safe. Saturday. Take Bye-bye. care. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.